Welcome to the Inspirational Living Podcast. A special thanks to Jesse Rodriguez-Wood for upgrading his patronage level. We have various patron levels of our podcast, each of which comes with its own unique rewards. To learn more, please visit livinghour.org patron. Thank you. Today's reading was edited and adapted from Youth and Opportunity by Thomas Tapper, published in 1912. When our tongues are tied, we cannot speak. When our hands are tied, we cannot labor. When our feet are tied, we cannot travel. If we lived under a tyrant who, with little warning, tied our tongue, hands, and feet, and made us helpless, we should rebel and fight for our freedom. And yet we live under just such a tyrant, or rather a family of tyrants, who not only tie our tongues, hands, and feet, but our ability, perseverance, happiness, and pleasures of life. These tyrants are fear, worry, suspicion, hatred, and company. When a Roman tyrant threatened to put a Greek slave in jail, the slave laughed at him and said, You can put my body in jail, but my spirit will be forever free. However, the tyrants we submit to actually put the spirit in prison, and thus we become helpless. To succeed in life, we must work freely with our resources. Resources are positive things. They help us and increase us. They make it plain to us just where opportunity is to be found. And yet the tyrants that put the spirit in jail are not positive things. They are the worst possible form of impediment. And impediments never helped a person in all the history of the world. You have determined to succeed in life. You have learned something in school, something at work, something from your colleagues or companions. You are convinced one day that you are not all that you can be. You become ambitious and make up your mind to succeed. Youth is yours, or at least the spirit of youth. Opportunity beckons you. The time is propitious, but can you trust yourself? When the moment arrives, you have fortune in your hands. All that is asked of you is to be faithful to your ambition, and by the very law of life, you are as certain to succeed as you can be sure in midwinter that spring will come again. What must you do to be faithful to your ambition? Many people in books advise you to learn all you can, to be industrious, to save money. By doing these things, they tell you, success is sure to come. The trouble with this advice is that it is not true. That is, it is not all the truth. While it is necessary to study, work, and save, it is also necessary to keep the mental atmosphere clean and vigorous. 
The mental atmosphere is clean and vigorous when there are no negative qualities poisoning it. Therefore, you are called upon to do two kinds of work. The first kind is the work of ambition. This requires you to plan all you want to be and become, to look further and further ahead, to determine to travel the direction just as far as you can make your way forward. The second kind of work is freedom making. As you travel your direction, you will find yourself in a jungle. You must go armed to protect yourself. The weapon you must carry for your protection is faith in yourself and your ideals. This is a powerful weapon and fundamental resource. In order that your mind may work with faith in behalf of the ambitions you possess, it must be free from all things that tend to make a strong person helpless. Fear imprisons you, and you cannot come out to work. Worry paralyzes you and makes your tongue, hands, and feet useless. Suspicion and hatred draw a veil over your eyes and block your vision. To follow beckoning ambition, you must not be a prisoner. You must be free to live and move. Your hands must labor unhindered. Your tongue speak unafraid, and your eyes see unclouded. The days of slavery continue, so long as we are victims of our own impediments. We laugh at one who believes in ghosts, but a person who worries is the worst ghost believer in existence. When firefighters go to put out a conflagration, they depend on the water flowing through the hose. Suppose, however, that before they turn the water on, they should prick little holes in the hose. When the water is turned on, only a little thus comes out the nozzle. Most of it is wasting itself through the punctures. The fire is your work, the thing to be done. The water is your power, that which you turn upon the work to make it disappear. The hose pipe is the direct line of your ambition. If you are full of fear, worry, superstition, and hatred, the water spurts uselessly out the little holes, but not much comes out of the nozzle. Now let us wrap up with a few words on happiness. The word happiness comes from the linguistic root hap, which means that which happens, or comes suddenly, or unexpectedly. The happy person, therefore, is the one who takes things as they come, without disturbance. They know that happiness does not interfere in things and conditions, but in one's attitude of mind toward things and conditions. It is then the essential duty of us all to relate ourselves to our desires and to the objects of environment so that they do not control the mind inside us, but that the mind inside us controls them. There is another interesting word in English, delight, meaning to entice, to allure, in fact to snare and to trap. Are we to forgo happiness and delight, 
Because we are enticed and snared by that which happens suddenly or unexpectedly? To answer this we have only to remember that a shield has two sides, and that neither side alone constitutes the whole shield. Then we shall comprehend the full significance of the picture, revealed to us in these two words, and we can proceed to be as happy and as delighted as we desire. Few people go through life free from the attraction of things, that is unaffected by what lies outside of themselves, the desire to possess what we do not own, the belief that with this or that change of condition we should be happier, or at least more contented, is common to us all, and it seems quite right that it should be so. Let us by all means have more and better things and conditions. The fact that they exist is an indication that we may have them. To secure the true and permanent gift from things and conditions is to grasp the spirit in them for the purpose of awakening the spirit in us. Hence you are as truly happy as you are spiritually alive. For things and conditions then contribute their lofty essence to you. After a while you will become inquiring and discriminating. You will not crave that which a lofty essence or state of being is not to be found. In our current sense of the word, you will be happy because you do not misunderstand. Even sorrow, affliction, and the suffering of yourself and others in so far as they call you out to help and to comfort, become instruments and means for awakening happiness within you. The deduction thus seems simple. The truly happy person is the one with the understanding heart. For so equipped they do not misread, and when a person reads aright, they discern proper values. Unhappiness, as we see it every day about us, comes from misreading values. Many a case will present itself that seems to disprove this, but once we begin to read life more deeply, the more this truth shines forth. There are few of us who cannot agree with Seneca and say, Calamity turns to our advantage and great ruins make way for greater glories. And again with von Humboldt who says, It is worthy of special notice that when we are not too anxious about happiness and unhappiness, but devote ourselves to strict and unsparing performance of duty, then happiness comes of itself, nay even springs from the midst of a life of troubles anxieties and privations. And why is this true? Because the soul active sees truth, knows it, and avoids placing false values on things. Happiness lies essentially in true values. Riches and great possessions may serve for a short time or a long time, but a day is sure to come when a person has received from them all they have to give. When that day comes, let them have faith and move on, 
better things await. Probably no person has contributed to literature a simpler and more direct statement of the right attitude towards life than the Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius. The one theme constantly recurring in his meditations is, do not misread appearances. Overworked with affairs of state at home, often absent with his army in distant provinces, Aurelius yet found, now and again, a moment or two for contemplation, and invariably he concluded that the whole duty of the individual is not to be affected by outward circumstances, but to be the serene judge of them. What use, he asks, do I put my soul to? That is a sensible question, and one we should frequently put to ourselves. The Inspirational Living Podcast is a production of The Living Hour. Get the best of our podcast in heirloom hardcover or digital ebook by visiting inspirationallifelessons.com. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you next time.